0: we've all been hurt we all carry scars we can all overcome these things and be healed through a relationship with jesus christ let's build that relationship together right here welcome to healing scars with pastor burton hey everybody welcome back to the sanctuary it is so good to have you join us Now, this week we're going to jump right in and we're going to continue on in our discovery of the least popular books in the Bible. Now, if it seems like we've gone through a lot in the past six months, it's because we have. In fact, to show you how much, I have some numbers for you. We've covered seven of the least preached books in the Bible and many of the shortest books in the Bible. Specifically, we have actually covered All five of the shortest books in the Bible, and at this point, seven of the ten shortest books in the Bible. So we're 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 really just trucking on through, and and we still have so so much to uncover. Today, we're going to begin looking at the book of Nahum, which is the eighth shortest book in the Bible. So, for those of you who are following along, um, go, you go ahead and start opening your Bible there because that's where we're going to be kicking off. Now, of course, we need to look at the background to set things up and get a better view of the picture that we're looking at here. All right? So, th- there's, there's no surprise here. This book was written by Nahum. Nahum, being Hebrew, is typically pronounced either Nahum or Neham. Uh, this book was likely written during his prophetic ministry, uh, which was between the fall of Thebes around 663 and the fall of Nineveh about 612 BC. Now, remember, BC, the numbers get smaller, and in AD, where we're at now, they get larger as time progresses. All right. Now, the original audience here, were the people of Nineveh and Judah in the southern kingdom. And it was to pronounce God's judgment on Assyria and bring comfort to Judah. Now, uh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian empire. And and we know this, of course, from our study uh, of Jonah, where they were warned of their impending demise if they didn't turn to God and repent because they were, they were some pretty gnarly people, they're pretty evil, you know. Uh, and, and looking at these dates, what we can also see is that it takes place about a century after Jonah had gone through and Nineveh had repented. So, I mean, really, you know, in, in the sense of sequels, this is a sequel to Jonah, all right. Now, in the time that passed, Nineveh. Backslid into their previous state, uh, which you know was thriving in sin, such as idolatry and violence as a world power. You know they they had again um, risen back, you know, gotten back to this point of being just absolutely brutal conquerors who destroyed, sacked, and pillaged as they pleased. You know, very much like, what are you going to do about it? You know, you and what army? And, and, and as we're going to see. You know, God's going to use Nineveh to, one, make it clear that he's in control, and two, as an example to all rulers, nations, uh, you know, in the world back then, and in the world we know today and those to come. Now, for those following in their Bible, those taking notes, go ahead and join me now um, as we, as, uh, we go into Nahum, uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 the bible says a prophecy concerning nineveh the book of the vision of nahum the elkoshite the lord is a jealous and avenging god the lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath the lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies the lord is slow to anger But great in power, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are dust at his feet. That's pretty intense imagery right there. So Nahum was very similar to Jonah in that he was a prophet to Nineveh. Uh, he he came from Ilkosh, which was a village believed to have been um, there in the the southwest part of Judah. Now God had sent His message uh, to to Nahum in the form of a vision, all right. And, and His message was to proclaim just how angry He had become with Nineveh, and He was He, he was downright pissed, all right. Now God and God alone retains the right to be jealous and to be vengeful. That's right, jealous and vengeful. Now that may come as a surprise to you, especially when I say those two words. So if we go all the way back towards the beginning of the Bible to Exodus, chapter 20, verses four through six, the Bible says, "'You shall not make for yourself an image "'in the form of anything in heaven, "'above or on earth, beneath.'" Um, excuse me, uh, on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Sorry, right, I lost my place. there. are reading. Uh, you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, since the beginning, it's been made clear that God's reserved the right to be both jealous and vengeful. And this is different from us as humans. We tend to be jealous and take vengeance because of our own selfishness and our own petty desires. We act from our own sin. Whereas God, who is our creator, has every right to insist that we bear our allegiance to him and him alone. And it's right for him to punish those who rebel. He set the bar and defined what is right and what is wrong. He wants us to follow what he has set forth because he knows what is best for us. And that if we do what he has told us to do, we will find true peace, true justice, and live properly as he has designed for us to. You know, parents, if this is ringing a bell, it should. It set the example for how, you know, we, our children should be raised. And if you're afraid to punish your child or discipline them, then you need to take a step back and make some changes. You see, when God is jealous and when God is vengeful, It's truly different from us because there's no selfishness involved. It all comes from his love and his desire to remove sin and bring back balance to all who believe. We also see that God is slow to anger. And don't we all know someone like this too? That reserved person that doesn't lose their cool often? But when they do, oh, buddy, you better look out. God is the same in this respect. He keeps us cool no matter how much we rebel and no matter how much we act a fool. It's a slow process for him. Yet, when he's had enough, even the earth trembles beneath him. Now, It's because of this a lot of people avoid going to God or even doubt him. We see so much evil in the world, corrupt leaders, to hypocrites in the church, that people start to wonder where God is or if he even exists. And here's what so many of us fail to realize. Here's the key piece of it. God is slow to anger. Because he is giving all of us, his true believers, Christians, time. Time to do what? Great question. I'm glad you asked that. And I have an answer for you. Time to share his love and his truth with evildoers and non-believers. Time to mourn them. So that they can repent and turn to him. So while it seems like it's taking a long time to us, we can all rest assured that they're not going to get eternity to do such. It's not going to be forever. The clock is ticking. The sand in the hourglass is running out. And when it does, his vengeance will be poured out on them. At this point, I'm certain there's at least one or two of you that are wondering, why doesn't God just punish evil right away? Why didn't he just get it done with? Well, he could. We know this. However, if he did, none of us would be here. Not one of us. At some point, we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. He gave us time. In fact, He gave our parents and our grandparents and everyone before us time so that we could turn to Him. And because of that, we should all be thankful that He gives everyone time to turn to Him. Continuing on, in Nahum 1, uh, verses 4 through 5, the Bible says, He rebukes the sea And dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it. Now, just a quick note here. Bashan, um, Bashan, there's a few ways to pronounce this, and Carmel... They were fertile areas. That's all we really need to know about that part. We're going to mo- keep on moving along here into verses 6 through 8. Uh, and the Bible says, Who can withstand this indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge. In times of trouble, he cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. All right. The question here is, really, who can defy God and get away with it? Nobody. Nobody. No person, no family, no state, no nation, no government, nobody, nobody, not one, not even Satan, who we know will be destroyed as it's been revealed in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9. After all, how do you avoid God? We're talking about the creator of everything known and unknown. You can't, no matter how important, celebrated, or strong you are or anyone else becomes, it simply cannot be done. So because of this, we know we need to repent and turn to Jesus because time is running out. Assyria, let's just face it, it got too big for its own britches. Jonah had already gone down there, told him, hey, what's up? This is what's going on. You need to make some changes or that's it. Fenito, the Lord's had enough. And they did and narrowly avoided their sentence just a century earlier. But, unfortunately, they're blinded by their own reflection in the mirror. Their ego got too big their own egos to realize that they were right back on track to meet their executioner see this right here this is why it's so important that we learn from the past you know this is what's wrong with cancel cancel uh, excuse me cancel culture today a little tongue tied there you know, everybody's so offended. They want to tear down statues and monuments and everything because, oh, this is wrong and that was wrong. And all You know, they've decided that if something is offensive in any way, shape, or form, that it needs to just disappear. It needs to be swept under the rug and be made like it never happened. The problem is, things did happen. The past happened. Someone is going to be offended no matter what. So instead of playing make-believe and pretending that something never existed, something never happened, we need to go back and we need to acknowledge that, yeah, it happened. We need to learn from it. And then we need to apply the lessons learned to do our best to ensure That we don't make the same mistakes. People, we need to stop following the blind herd in the world and start following Jesus. As people, as states, as nations, we should all do well to learn from Nineveh and the Assyrians. To repent, to turn to God, and to help one another. To make sure that none of us backslide like they did. But guess what? We're not doing that. We're not doing a good job of it right now at all. We're failing. And we see it every day when we go out into the world. We can't defy God, we can humble ourselves before Him, we can repent. And we can follow him. We can be obedient to him. See, those who don't believe in God, on the other hand, those who continue to rebel and disobey him, his punishment's real. And his punishment, it's like a hungry fire and it just consumes everything. There's no way out. They're trapped. They put themselves into a corner that they can't get out of. They've had the chance. God has extended his hand to them. And they've slapped it out of the way. They're too prideful. They're too consumed by their own sin, that fire, that they're being burned up. Now, we know God will go to great lengths to protect and care for those who who believe and follow him. Remember, we just talked about this. Yet his enemies, they don't stand a chance. No chance. Ultimately, it is up to us. Do you want a relationship with him? To know his love, his mercy, his grace? Or... Would you rather fight against him and find yourself in hell to only know torment and pain? Make a choice. It's yours to make. Are you for him or against him? And as the Bible tells us, you can't be lukewarm. You can't just be in the middle because even that is a decision to be against him. All right, going back into Nahum here. Um, Nahum 1, we're looking at verses 9 through 11 now. The Bible says, Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans see another way of reading the first part of this is you know or when you're looking through and it says you know what do you it's basically asking what do you foes plot against God it's the same as saying what do you really think you're going to do you know uh, and as for those who plot Evil against the Lord, that part isn't clear. However, there are a few ideas that have been suggested by scholars. Uh, the first being um, um who was the king of Assyria for really most of Nahum's life, and was directly responsible for bringing Assyria uh, to the apex of its power. It brought him—you know—he's the one responsible directly for bringing them to the tippy top uh, of of, uh, of where they got. Um, the second. Being Sennacherib, who was really the embodiment of what it means to rebel against God at that time, you know he openly defied him, and we can see more of that in 2 Kings chapter eighteen, verses thirteen through thirty-five. The third being that there was no particular king; instead, it was really the entire Assyrian monarchy, regardless. It doesn't really matter because the point here, the point of the matter is because of the rebellion against God, all of Nineveh is going to be destroyed. It's all going bye bye. Good night, Alice. All right. See, we're in the home stretch here, people. We're going to finish out this reading strong. So uh, pick back up Nahum 1, verses uh, 12 through 15. So, verses 12 through 15, the Bible says. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images. And idols that are in the temple of your gods, I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Wow. There's some good news to be had. There's some great news to be had here. You know, for Judah, it was the fact that their occupiers were going going to be taken out. Taken out. As a matter of fact, they were brought down and wiped out. Signed, sealed, delivered. They were going to never have a chance to rise again. I mean, they were done. They were so utterly just beaten that their ruins weren't even identified by archaeologists until about 1845. We're talking so battered and beat up, Indiana Jones wouldn't have even bothered with them. The same good news for the people of Judah applies to the world today. Those who rebel against God doing evil things against his people will eventually find themselves at the business end of God's jealousy and vengeance. To defy and def- to, to oppose God, there's just no chance. Done. That's the message of hope that's being given to all believers for all time. All these groups, these leaders, and, and I use that term leaders very loosely you know regimes governments and nations that try to take what they want with brute force and violence and cruelty and on and on their time is running out and they will be judged and they will be destroyed yet those who believe those who follow god will be protected they'll be protected See, there are so many examples of these rises in power and falls throughout history. Even today, regimes, dynasties, nations, celebrities, you know, all these people who have been deemed to be of great importance, you know, they've they've all risen and they've crumbled. You know, uh, even in the last few months, we've seen powerful banks go under. Um, You know, over the years, we've seen actors, athletes, politicians. And you know, so on, lose everything. Not just here, but around the world. As Christians, we, we need to step back, we need to put ourselves in check. We need to exercise self-control. <coughs> See, we need to we need to get a hold of our emotions and reel them in. There's so much that's happening out there today. People get fired up. They get fired up, they're pumped. But not in a good way. It doesn't matter what the issue is anymore. Everyone wants to pick up their torch and their pitchfork and start marching for their view on a cause in anger. Not love. Selfish anger. They lose control. They want vengeance, they want justice, they want to force their view on others. But they can't even see their own sin They can't see how they're sinning and how they're going about it. They want to point the finger, but they don't want to examine themselves. Remember, uh, the Bible even talks about this, you know, uh, the the speck in the eye versus the plank. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, the Bible says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, in due time their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. And in Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 through 15, the Bible says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not, forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins see vengeance getting even it it comes naturally to us because of our human nature but it's rooted in selfish sin so for believers for those of us who follow jesus vengeance is it's always going to be best when we leave it in god's hands Feeling a need for revenge is very, very much like holding a grudge, or in other words, not forgiving other people. Unforgiveness. God clearly tells us that if we expect for Him to forgive us, we must be willing to let go, and love, and forgive everyone else. Again, it's human nature; it's natural to want revenge, to hold grudges. To refuse to forgive. However, this is not only unchristian, it is a rebellion against God. Ephesians 4, verse 32, the Bible says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He's given us time. He's given us love. He has forgiven us and shown us that he will deal with those who want to do us harm, who wish ill upon us. He has shown us the way through Jesus Christ. We need to stay focused on him in the storm that we are all in. We need to stay focused on God. We need to stay focused on Jesus. We need to stay focused on the good news He has given us and sealed in blood when Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of all mankind. We need to be patient. We need to be obedient. We all need to be the light in others' times of darkness. We need to be the church. We need to let the same love and hope Jesus has given to you and me shine for others to see. In doing so, you may well be the answer that God has sent to someone else's prayer in someone else's time of need. That's all we have this week. Uh, next week, we're going to continue on, and we're going to continue to explore Nahum, and we're going to see that fall of Nineveh. God bless, y'all. I want to thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or would like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on our website at be the sanctuary.org or on Facebook at Be The Light Sanctuary. We'll catch you next time. God bless.